0: I know.
1: This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau health plans plan on paying less for the coverage you need with Farm Bureau health plans. Get a quote today at FBHP.com. I'm Mike Keith. The Titans took it on the chin in new Orleans by a final score of 16 to 15. It was a long Monday in Nashville. I had a chance to sit down with the head coach to discuss what happened against the Saints and what comes next. In case you missed it on the Mike Vrabel Show on Titans Radio, here's my chat with Mike Vrabel on the OTP. Mike, I want to ask you first and foremost about a moment before the game. At the coin toss, the Titans honorary captain Tim Shaw, the Saints honorary captain Steve Gleason, Gleason has been affected by ALS since 2011, Tim Shaw since 2014. The people at the Caesars Superdome were magnificent to both and to both sides. The team seemed to value that moment. Mike, that was one of those NFL moments that really just make you so proud to be a part of a member club and of the league itself. Well, I think it does. I
2: think it shows what type of people that Tim and, and Steve are and um, – their impacts on these football teams, and uh, we would have loved to, to have gotten a win for for Tim and our and our fans, um, but you know we'll, we'll keep fighting and and we'll get back to work. But it was, uh, it was really cool for for them to be able to to do that and, and be captains for that day.
1: Let's talk about you when the opening toss you defer, and on the first play of the season, Amani Hooker goes down and makes an outstanding play, taking the ball away from Rashid Shahid. Um, Unbelievable play overall, tempo setter, and really involving a lot of things that you've preached this offseason. Have always tried to talk about taking a ball away, have talked about staying on your feet
2: when you tackle. Uh, watch Damani come down, come to balance, break the stiff arm down. Uh, I have talked about, you know, running backs and in general throughout the league that sometimes as that stiff arm goes out, that other arm gets a little loose. And you know, that's why we practice so much with Derek and Tajay and guys that do use that stiff arm is that It doesn't get loose. Well, Monty knows that sometimes it gets loose, and so he was able to 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 hammer the ball out um, and recover it all in one motion. And you know, really would have liked that to have been fixed in replay assist. Didn't happen. Forced me to challenge. Uh, Appreciate the communication from upstairs, Uh, and and that got us off to to getting some points. Now we can go back and talk about how we got to you know convert that into touchdowns and take advantage of our turnovers and you know, making those touchdowns and not field goals.
1: His teammates have bragged on him all offseason. Amani Hooker, really good camp, really good offseason. His performance, what you expect to see out of number 37 these days?
2: Yeah, and I think there's a couple plays that he'd like to have back. I mean, he made, you know, two, two impactful plays. Um, but, but also, you know, he knows that he needs to be better on a few coverage snaps. Um, and, and I'm sure that he will
1: were you pleased with kiaris jackson's decision making in the return game
2: yeah you know the one i, I like him being aggressive it just you know that was you know the 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 hook punt and i think he got a little better of where it was going to land and you know that's it's hard to practice you know i mean there's only a few people that that hit those type of punts um but when he got it and we gave him room he got vertical and, and got us some yards and got us a first down and some of those and you know, appreciate his willingness to do that.
1: What went wrong for the Titans on the block punt? Well, just
2: simply not staying inside out. You know, what I mean, we we have to help them out. Chig's got to get over there, maybe slide out uh, a little bit. But but Otis knows, and every wing knows, and every running back knows that when you're in protection, you, you have to be inside out. And uh, and we weren't, and that is uh, that that's unfortunate. Um, but but we have to be better, and we're going to see it. You know, we we can go through and tell them and show them. You know, early in the season the number of punts that are blocked um, on the wing so that just that has to be better.
1: Mike as there's been a lot of talk after the game about the difficulties that your offense had on third down I went back and averaged it out you averaged a third and eight for the for the third down attempts when you when you really look at what went on with your third downs is the fact that the average was third and eight the biggest problem? Yeah, you can't, you know, I mean, you, you, we've been through this before where, you know, you want to fix third down,
2: make them shorter, and, and the percentages will go up. But, you know, when you have, you know, four pre-snap penalties and uh, second and 20s, second and 15s, first and 15s, um, unfortunately, that leads to, to third and long. So, some of that was, was our own doing, and, and some of it, um, you know, they, they rushed and they covered and they... they they won those snaps, but, but some of it was, was our own doing.
1: What did you like about your pass rush in New Orleans? Well, I
2: felt, I felt like it was uh, impactful. I felt like they tried to affect the quarterback. I felt like they tried to attack the football. Um, numerous occasions, uh, the football was out, uh, whether it was an incomplete pass or a fumble. Uh, even one to Nico Autry uh, and, and Arden shared, that ball was out. And it, you know they didn't call it a fumble, but it will be. You know, and the ball was clearly out. Danico put his hand on it, so I think that they were intentional. I think our defense was intentional, uh, especially trying to um, to try to find the football.
1: Didn't have any sacks in the second half. Did they do anything differently, or were you still able to get pressure? You just didn't finish.
2: Well, I don't think we finished. You know, I mean, I don't think we finished, and you know, I think we still had some pressure. I think they were chipping. You know, they chipped a lot. They used the fullback in there and you know, tight end some, and they try to find Jeff and chip him, and, you know, we just got to get there quicker or be in tighter coverage.
1: As you looked at the tape, were there surprises to you, or did the game pretty much play out on film the way it did from the sidelines where you viewed it?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's always surprises, you know, just our our ability to um, make make great decisions um, at, at the quarterback position, and and being decisive and, and our ability to, to protect early on in the game. Um, I I thought that the line of scrimmage w- was pretty good in a run game. I think we had a few clunkers, but but I thought we had some, some cool six- and seven-yard gains, and I thought we were efficient there. Um, special teams-wise, you know, we're going to have to keep covering kicks, which we enjoy. Um, you know, we made all our kicks defensively, you know, try to put the hands in the defense, you know, in the hands of the defense and get the ball back there. I thought that was the best decision of the way that they had been playing and have one timeout and find a way to get inside the 35 and and make a field goal to win it.
1: As you watch the tape, what was the most disappointing aspect to you?
2: Well, I mean, offensively, we just didn't hit some guys that we had. You know, we had some guys open um, and, and we have to hit those. Ryan has to hit those. You know, and, and we you know we can't turn the football over. You know, so you know, whatever those reasons are, and our ability to, to protect and throw the football um, has to be better. Um, you know, we defensively we can't you know we go out there in four minutes and uh, you know seem like that was their their longest drive of the of the game. Converted two third downs and, and and milked the clock out.
1: Finally, next opponent, the Los Angeles Chargers. How different a challenge are they? Personnel wise and scheme wise?
2: Well, every week's different. Um, You know, probably going to see some more tempo. uh, That's going to pick up. Um, You know, they were able to run the football, you know, against the Dolphins, um, you know, with two good backs and a a new scheme. Um, Still, obviously, have have Austin Eckler and a weapon out of the backfield, so we'll have to be conscious of that. Keenan Allen's always been a go to guy, Mike Williams. and so we'll see most of
1: that same personnel from last year. We'll just have to try to play them a little better. They have a new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, and a new defensive coordinator, Derek Ansley. Schematically, can you tell much difference from even the game December 18th or not?
2: I mean, defensively, I think it's going to be a little closer to what we've seen. Uh, offensively, um, you know, I think there'll be some differences in, in how they um, they try to attack the game and you know again, one weekend we'll see. you know we'll see what their what their thoughts are and how how they want to try to see us and attack
1: us. That's my Monday talk with Mike Raven. Hey, Titans fans, It's always game on with Duncan. So grab a coffee and kick off the action. whether that's drinking a cup on the way to the game or just having a big cup at home duncan is always there to help you get your game on just like the pros we need to be at our best come game time which is why duncan is the most important part of your game day ritual because it's always the best call for football america runs on duncan let's bring in ramon foster ramon spent 11 years playing in the nfl having just retired in 2019 part of our flagship station 1045 the zone and of course Titans radio have had time to review it. I want to talk offensive line to begin as they reviewed it. Where did the offensive line start with their
3: coach, Jason hoteling? I think a little bit behind the eight ball considering, uh, couldn't get the run game going the way you wanted to, uh, your quarterback being comfortable in the pocket. Uh, I don't think he had much of that in the game on Sunday. You, you also say to yourself, this is a group of five. And we talked about this in the pregame on Sunday that, Four of these five guys hadn't had a whole lot of reps. Uh, when you look at Aaron Brewer, he had 1,000 snaps last year. Uh, Daniel Bronsko had half of that last year in a reserve role. Hubbard had about 30 reps. Uh, when you look at Andre Dillard, 30 reps. And Peter Skoronsky had zero as a pro because he was in college. Um, but we said this also all this offseason as we watched this group come together in camp you got to give them about four to five, maybe six weeks to figure out who they are and what they're going to be. What you had happen was one of the worst situations you could have had. You're on the road, in a dome, in New Orleans. The communication aspect of how they needed to come together wasn't there. The communication, for the most part, was good, but the execution after the fact wasn't what you needed it to be, too. Is it all doom and gloom? No. It's simply a group that's growing up together, and they got to figure out how to accelerate their growth as a unit. If you're asking me where do they sit, they sit where a group that hasn't played together in a regular season game should should be. And that is um, just slightly below the line in their performance and how they handled the pressure and being on the road in New Orleans. I want to take something you
1: just said and back up for a second. All those guys played every snap, 60-plus snaps. That's more snaps than Dillard played in the offensive line last year. That's more snaps than Hubbard played in the offensive line last year. That's more snaps than, obviously, Skaronsky played in the NFL last year because he didn't play any. So getting used to building up that much is part of the task. Did you feel like they got better as they went?
3: It was moments of getting better, but it's also um, the pressure of executing the play. Uh, I've kind of said this when you look at Andre Dillard in a sense. He's a guy that gets the job done but it does it as a strain, Uh, figuring out where he needs to be in his quarterback, figuring out where he needs to set up if Diller's going to be there. I saw Tannehill go out of the pocket one or two times when he could have potentially stepped up. That's him learning that group. That's that group also learning what the umbrella that Coach Mack always talks about, that center guard-guard triangle that he has to have, that umbrella, stepping up into the pocket, knowing that Andre Diller may finish the play better than he actually starts the play is where you have to figure out what that group right there – And you're right, Mike, when you look at how they have to come together. That is more plays than all of those dudes had last year. Let that sink in. That should let you know there is room for error when it comes down to their execution. They have to be brutally honest with each other moving forward. Uh, And the coaches have to understand their personnel even better. Now, 60 plays in a game. There was a lot of dropbacks in this game also. There was a lot of pressure that was given to Ryan Tannehill. This goes hand in hand when you talk about the offensive production of a group like this. I'm not out on them. What I am is saying this, you got to go to work a little bit harder. You have to make sure that your communication skills are at a top tier whenever you go into stadiums, especially on the road with the type of noises they saw Sunday in New Orleans. With that being said, this group is capable. They have to grow up. They have to understand each other without having to actually talk to one another. But that comes over time. Most teams, heck, let's talk about five new guys on the offensive line. You need about four to six weeks to figure out what your methods of winning are and how you operate from play to play and game to game.
1: Because they weren't seeing backups like they saw in the preseason, and they weren't seeing vanilla
3: schemes. Like they saw in the preseason. No, they weren't. And this is the point that you just made. It was good on good this weekend. You may have gotten a backup, but that backup also made the 53-man roster. That means that guy's the top 1% at his position. means that if there was blood in the water as far as seeing pressure being uh, thrown at the Tennessee Titans, guess what's going to happen? They're going to continue to send more pressure. And it's not only just the passing game. It's the running game, too. The, the, the gift and curse of heaven, Derrick Henry, is you have Derrick Henry, which means if he's in the game more times than not, most offensive coordinators want to put the ball in his hand. You have to have a meeting with yourself and say, in the running game, we have to develop a style of just being dogs when it comes down to how we play. Yes, Derek is in the backfield. Guess what? Teams are going to attack you differently. You have to have a strain in your game that says to you, we don't care what they're going to send at us. Our job is to get Derek four yards a pop, six yards a pop if we have to, and eventually that rock is going to crack. That's what happened, I feel like, this weekend is the realization there is no coming out of these games. The reality is teams want to hit Derek in the mouth as quick as they can because if they do that, they force you to throw the ball. And considering Ryan Tannehill is figuring out what his weapons are offensively, the schematics of how they're going to operate too, you still have young guys in Chig. You still have a young guy in Traylon Burke and a new addition of D-Hop. There's a lot of things that have to be figured out, but it's all doable. It's not one of those things that you have to say, let's switch anything up. It's just the understanding of how you have to operate. Everybody has something dirty about their job. With this group up front, these five dudes up front is, you're going to get a lot of criticism. That's fine. You still have your jobs. You're going to get a lot of pressure in the run game. That's fine. Your job is to open up lanes for them. And guess what? Communicate with the backfield. Derek, hey, it's much better if you go this way on these types of plays. Or coach, maybe we need to have more toss to soften these guys up. It's communication, Mike, at this point and understanding of what your job entails when you have a guy like 22 on your roster. So that's the reason. Everything you're pulling together is the reason that teams
1: improve generally the most from week one to week two because now you're
3: seeing something and these guys have been through something real. Yes, 100%. We've seen teams uh, look amazing in the preseason. And you know you gotta tell yourself, well, that's really good because it's the preseason. Teams are gonna be vanilla. There's no reason to hold back when the wins and losses count and you're trying to win a Super Bowl. That's what this group had the realization about. And I'm okay with what happened. The turnovers is fixable. That's coachable. The operation of what players deserve to have the balls in their hands is fixable too. Uh what was was not is effort. And we didn't see anybody not having the effort out there. It's both sides of the ball that I have to pull to win the turnovers is the quickest way to lose games that's something that is very fixable Mike and I'm okay with saying I expect a professional quarterback one of 32 that start in a franchise to be able to fix that's going to be the biggest talking point going into week two Ramon Foster
1: how did you think rookie left guard Peter Skaronsky performed in his first NFL
3: game I smile Mike when you ask that question because he looked like a rookie limited reps in the preseason it's not a, a big sample size for what he was capable of. What you saw was certain moments in the game to where you have veteran guys like Cam Jordan, you have other first-rounders like, you know, Brzee, also who who would also just dive into him. They took advantage of him in certain moments. Whether they got to the quarterback or not, they ran games specifically on the left side. And it was not just Andre Diller been you know, having 30-plus snaps last year. They took advantage of their cohesion, their communication on the road. And I said, this is a very rookie-like game for him. It wasn't all bad. He had some good running plays. He pulled well and all the things you needed to see. But when you're going against a potential Hall of Famer like like Cam Jordan, Certain things will happen, and he he, he capitalized on those moments. Um, as a guard, there's not much to stand out on other than simply doing your job. But those negative plays showed up in a fashion um, that you kind of expect for a rookie that don't know how to break down a guy like Cam Jordan. 24 hours later, how much smarter is Peter Skoransky than he was? Twice as much, at least. Uh, just because anything that could have went bad kind of did in that game. You saw your quarterback get thrown to the ground. You understood what it's like blocking in preseason games versus regular season games. Uh, And one of the things you have to do is not just study the next week's opponent. You have to watch yourself over and over again because the way they will study you going into week two is the same way you need to study yourself. The biggest way to become a better pro is know your deficiencies. His deficiencies is communication and not turning his hips too much on the interior. The arms, you see how we're not talking about those don't matter anymore because if you can ball, you can ball. He didn't give up uh, that left side and give up a sack because the arms. You gave up that, that sack because they were just smarter than you. So at least twice as smart going into this next week.
1: So like Paul, the scales fell from his eyes and he now really knows what it's like to be a professional football player.
3: Yes. And, I'll say this, too. For a lot of the guys, preseason speed is not real speed. It's a nice test. But, Mike, you heard the crowd the same as I did. You felt the energy from both sides of the ball as far as going into New Orleans, the Saints versus the Titans. And with that being said, there is another gear. There is another notch. You have to recognize those things and grow up. And, again, we can't use rookie as much anymore, too. Because he's simply a pro at this point. Yeah, the mistakes will say you're a rookie. But any coach will tell you when it hit week when it hits week one, you're no longer a rookie. You're a football player. Overall, too, the Titans were able to come
1: through the game healthy, some concerns in the secondary. Having a guy like Kendall Vildor, who had been in the league, having a guy like Elijah Molden, who played all over the secondary during camp and, and has done different things, certainly proved to be a boon to the Titans when Christian Fulton went out with the hamstring, and when Amani Hooker went into concussion protocol.
3: Absolutely. Uh, and it's those moments right there that keep you in game. That th- This team was in the game. You got to think about it. It was one touchdown given up. And what you have to have stop happening is the short field giving up and also the explosive plays. That was there. But having guys like them in the secondary, in those specific spots because Amani had a heck of a game. He had a real good game, and having him out to have somebody like Elijah that and play back up to him was pivotal for this team. It wasn't him that gave up those plays, essentially, in the secondary. He was Johnny on the spot when you asked him to be. That's why you continually scout other players on other teams, That's why you continually say, how can we make our team better? I think Coach Vrabel and Rand Carthon did that by finding and having those guys on their team. It's a matter of opportunity for guys like them. You know, when it comes down to saying there's an injury, you step in and you make plays, and they did. Arden Key made the
1: difference that we thought he could make in the defensive line rushing the passer. What
3: most impressed you, Ramon Foster, about Arden Key? The way he pushes everybody else. The finish also on sacks. I thought that was huge. Not only is he creating chaos, but he's actually getting guys on the field. I think he logged uh, officially a sack and a half, along with Danico Autry. Was good to see. But even on Jeff sack, too. It was Denico. I mean, it was uh, Arden Key that flushed him out, and Jeff ended up cleaning him up. Watching them and seeing their communication and how excited they are to get after it, Arden is a huge part of that. We we kind of figured this in the preseason; he was going to be a burst of energy for this defense, and he is. That's the role you're asking him to do, and I feel like he's executing that as flawlessly as you need a guy that's playing that role. That he is from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, he did that. Ironically, on the
1: play that was eventually ruled an incomplete pass. Arden Key is the man who hit Derek Carr. Had it been ruled a fumble, not only would it have been a touchdown for the Titans, it would have been the first ever forced fumble in Arden Key's career. That's
3: coming, though. It is. But you know what? You watch him get after the quarterback, he is reaching for the ball more than just trying to get a sack. He's swiping at the ball. That eventually pays off. And by the way, that play, oh, my. Most referees, umpires, let that play develop and go about his way, and they'll review it later. I was shocked still, and I know a lot of the fan base was too, that they actually blew it dead. I would call that a touchdown in the eyes of Kevin But let Bayard. me ask you about that too. And from, from our vantage
1: point, and we're way up, Yeah. it felt as if the whistle didn't blow until Byard was basically at the 30-yard line. Yep. So at that point, the question would be, why not let it go Because then it automatically goes to review
3: anyway. It does. That is the smartest way to go about that. I hate to say referees have a warm-up season, too. I'm not giving them four games of warm-up, Mike. Okay, I say if you're a professional and you guys are hired by the NFL to be the best in the world at your job, when it comes down to officiating, it's certain rules that you have to have in place, and that's one of those things. Unless a guy's in direct danger, like a quarterback, if there's a false start and a guy's beeline, you blow that dead. We're talking about injuries when it comes down to those type of blowing dead plays. We're actually talking about Kevin Byer was in a clean lane to scoop that ball and finish down the sideline. To call it dead after the play has had continuation, as you just said, that was flagrant to me. It's too much riding on the line of – uh, these games and trying to get to the Super Bowl and trying to start the season off well for you to blow that play dead. Nobody was in direct harm. The quarterback wasn't chasing the play right there. He, that was a defensive play made by a guy that should have been a scoop and score and they chose to blow it dead. And you know what? We won't get a clear explanation of it. It's just chalked it up to a human error, I guess.
1: I was told that Gene Sterator thought it was a... Anyway, yeah. And, uh, oh my. <laughs> so let me let me ask you finally. Uh, in speaking about officiating, based on the fact that both sides feel like calls go against them, the Saints are famous for thinking every call goes against them, and the world's out to get them. So they, they probably I've fe-
3: experienced that from them too. Yeah, yeah. They,
1: <laughs> they probably feel pretty good today. So, but but everybody gets that. The indecision, the switching calls, the people coming in and saying, "Wait a minute, maybe it was a
3: catch, maybe it wasn't." Does that drive players more crazy? It does. And you know why? It's because your job is to enforce the rules. Your job is to say, yes, this is right and that is wrong, and definitively say it too. When there is confusion amongst their crew that they have. And I thought the crew, I've seen them in other games, I thought they were fair enough. But in week one, you can't allow these type of, decisions to stop a game because it also messes up the flow of the game. It also makes you question what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong as a player. I did think in week one, whether it was the league that sent the memo out, I thought their involvement was a bit much. I did think that being on the sideline watching, I was like, why is there so much communication between you guys? I felt like this is a locker room conversation that you guys should have at halftime or either at the end of the quarter. The floor of the game messes up and players get off and coaches. Let's talk about the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. If there is a break in the game and they're not ready to go immediately, it messes up their flow. Those conversations have to be had on break, TV timeouts. Heck, there's plenty of time to do that. You can't have a meeting of the minds in between the play because what if we're in a hurry-up mode in those moments right there? Or What if you're allowing a player to exchange in and off the, the field? You know, like if you got somebody reeling or you really got plays dialed up and they got to have a meeting of the minds, that throws players off. It really makes you question almost everything that they do at that point. And I saw players with their hands out wide looking at the referees like, really? You're not going to call that? Or you did call that? And it happens often, but in these situations where they're talking about you know, missed calls or decisions that one said was good and the other said was bad, that's frustrating. Or
1: stepping off a 12-yard holding penalty.
3: Oh, my. And the game took three
1: hours and 20 minutes, which is just proof of your point. Way too long for a 16-15 game. Ramon Foster, thank you for your great work. Look forward to seeing you Sunday when the Titans take on the Chargers. Home opener, Mike. Gotta have it. SeatGeek is now the official ticketing partner of the Tennessee Titans. That's right. SeatGeek is the newest member of the Titans family. If you haven't heard the name yet, get used to it, because you'll be hearing it a lot more during the season. Whether you're buying or selling tickets to the Titans games or to any live event in Nashville, SeatGeek is the place to do it. SeatGeek, the new official ticketing partner of the Tennessee Titans. So Titans fans can fan. Matt Hasselbeck played quarterback in the NFL from 1999 through 2015. The majority of those seasons as a starter in 2011 and 2012, he played a lot of outstanding football for the Tennessee Titans. Matt Hasselbeck joins me now on the OTP. I want to jump right in and I want to talk about the Dallas Giants game. Dallas wins 40 to nothing. Is that mm. the biggest shocker of week one to this point?
0: Wow. You know, it might be. I think expectations are just so high for the Jets and the Giants. I always wonder sometimes, though, like sometimes I feel like in the media, especially the national media, they hype up the teams that are good markets. You know, like, they'll hype up New York teams, they'll hype up the Cowboys, they'll hype up the Bears, and so you never really know, but I, I'm a believer in this Giants team, and that's just, I've been part of games where, like, nothing goes your way early, uh, and that's really what happened uh, to the New York Giants. So, I don't think, I, you know, I say this to people a lot. Week one is a liar in the NFL. I mean, how many times do you see a team go out and just stink it up? I think of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, the last couple of years has really not played well at all, week one. And um and, and then he goes on to like win the MVP. You know, it's like it's it's that that kind of a thing. So uh You know, it's just one game. You know, the the Chiefs lost week one to Detroit. I think the Chiefs are going to be pretty good, too. But uh, that was an embarrassment for the New York Giants, no doubt.
1: You touched on the Green Bay Packers, and you touched on their former quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Their new quarterback, Jordan Love, 245 yards passing, three touchdowns as Green Bay wins at Chicago. It was almost like how Aaron Rodgers debuted after he took over from Brett Favre. Should Packer fans be optimistic after that?
0: Well, I think Packer fans should be optimistic for a lot of reasons. However, let's not forget this is the Chicago Bears, and they had the—you know—they're picking at the top of the draft, uh, you know, near the top of the draft for a reason. Like they—they're—they really were maybe the worst one of the worst teams in football last year. With that being said, Jordan Love, what I like to look at with quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, especially, how are they on third down? And I thought on third down, Jordan Love showed poise. He showed playmaking ability. Uh, He didn't just do it um, with his legs as sometimes young players do. He did it with his arm. He did it with his eyes downfield as he was approaching the line of scrimmage, threatening to scramble, and, uh, and I thought that uh, Matt LaFleur did an awesome job of, of basically designing this year's Green Bay Packers offense in a way that reminds me more of what the San Francisco 49ers are doing than it does of what they did last year with Aaron Rodgers. Let the quarterback be more of a point guard, let him distribute, and let the offense work for you. And I, I thought Jordan Love did a great job of that, with Aaron Jones in particular, who's kind of playing that Christian McCaffrey role right now.
1: To your point about San Francisco, they win in Pittsburgh thirty to seven. Brock Purdy nineteen of twenty nine, two twenty, two touchdowns, very efficient running the show. Are you a Brock Purdy believer already?
0: I really am, and, you know, you had mentioned the Dallas Cowboys as the most impressive uh, showing of the week. You're probably right, but right behind them are the San Francisco 49ers. They go into Pittsburgh. We all know how tough it is to go into Pittsburgh, and not only do they look, you know, amazing on defense, but offense. Brock Purdy coming off of that huge elbow surgery late in the year, looked like he, you know, 100% healthy, wheeling and dealing, doing it with his legs, doing it with his arms. That scheme, the talent that they have, right now I think you got to say uh, San Fran picked right up where they left off last year, and, uh, and that's hard to do, especially when you lose the way that they lost, the way that their season ended last year. I'm a believer in the 49ers.
1: Matt Hasselbeck, let's talk about the rookie quarterbacks. Bryce Young and Carolina lose to Atlanta 24-10. He's 20 of 38 for 146 with a couple of picks. Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis loses to Jacksonville he throws for 223 yards rushes for 40 intercepted once sacked four times in the ball game CJ Stroud and Houston lose to Baltimore 25 to 9 he throws for 242 and it's sacked five times maybe kind of what we expected from all three based on first game and the opponent.
0: Well, I, I thought Anthony Richardson first off in Indianapolis was uh, far better for the most part than I expected. He's a guy that hasn't played a lot of college football and he was really dominant. Now he'll look back. He's a young player. There was a third down play. I believe it was a third down where he throws uh he throws an interception and it really cost him the game. You learn from those things as a young player. And that's what the owner Jim Irsay said. He said, Hey, listen, just like we did with Peyton, just like we did with Andrew Luck, he's got to get out there and learn on the job. And that's what they believe in there. Now, my concern for him is that I don't think he can run the way that he did in college. It's just going to catch up with you. It's a more physical game in the NFL. It's a bit, it's a longer season. And he was not able to finish the game because he took a bad hit. Um, You know, Bryce Young, I think he's just got poise upon poise upon poise. I love the matchup with Frank Reich there. I think that's a rebuild situation as well. And same thing for C.J. Stroud. Again, like, you know, there's smiles on everybody's face down there. You know, I think they're playing Baltimore, and they're they're down by 20 points, and everyone's smiling when they have a good play. Like, that's, that's just a rebuild situation. So for a young quarterback without the pressure of having to come in and win right away, um, you know, maybe they figure it out. For this year, though, I think they're talented guys with a ton of potential. But uh, how relevant will they be? You know, I think I think the Colts and Anthony Richardson have the best chance to be relevant.
1: Matt, help me with something: Cleveland twenty-four, Cincinnati three. Joe Burrow fourteen of thirty-one for eighty-two yards.
0: Ugly, 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 ugly weather. Rivalry game. Like I said, week one can be a, a liar sometimes. Uh, the only thing I could say is that practice matters. And I think Joe Burrow might be the most talented quarterback in the game. But practice matters even if you're Joe Burrow. He missed a bunch of time. He had the calf injury. And, uh, you know, it showed. I just think it showed. And, and uh, again, if you're the Cleveland Browns, they did not play well on offense either. Not really. They ran the ball well. Nick Chubb was great. But to that defense, it's like a Super Bowl for them, getting up to, to open the season against Joe Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase, that offense. And they played like it. And like I said, I think, I think the weather played into it just a little bit, but the Cincinnati Bengals, um, I have I have confidence. They'll they'll just like the Chiefs, they'll be back.
1: And they have trouble with Cleveland anyway. Every every team has one of those, right?
0: No doubt. You know, there's just something about rivalry games. Like when I was on the Green Bay Packers for three years, it was the Brett Favre years, the Glory years, the, the Bears were really one of the worst teams in football. It never seemed to matter. It always seemed to be a game. And uh you know you can't really explain it other than if you've ever been a part of a rivalry game. It's uh it's just something special about it. It's something special about it with the fans, the players, the coaches, and uh that's certainly what they have in Cleveland and in Cincinnati.
1: Matt Hasselbeck, when we think about the Dolphins and the Chargers, we think about a great playoff game of 40 plus years ago. We we think of mm-hmm. them taking Kellen Winslow off the field as teammates helping him. Well, they had another kind of shootout game like that yesterday 36 34. Dolphins win it. Tua Tung of throws for 466. The Chargers run it well for over 200, and Justin Herbert throws for 228. What did you come away from that game? that you'll take that you think may be a carryover for each?
0: If you're going to watch one game from the weekend, that's the game to watch. Incredible offense. Tyreek Hill was uncoverable. And uh, I thought Justin Herbert looked great with his new offensive coordinator uh, that they got from Dallas. So that that's an exciting uh, – those are two exciting teams for the rest of the season.
1: And the debut of Sean Payton in Denver, he loses to Las Vegas 17-16. to Jimmy Garoppolo completes – 20 of 26 for 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns. The the thing I want to ask you about is sort of the remaking of Russell Wilson. 27 of 34, 177, two touchdowns. Could you get a sense of what Sean Payton is going to try to do to make Russell Wilson either Russell Wilson again or the Russell Wilson of now?
0: Yeah. And you, and you saw it, you saw it for sure. I mean, you saw a little bit more of the Russell Wilson that we used to know last year. He was, you know, for some reason, one of the worst quarterbacks in football after being, after having been one of the best quarterbacks in football for a long time. Now, what I saw yesterday was a guy that was helping his team, helping his team by staying ahead of the sticks, not taking unnecessary sacks, still using his creativity and his scrambling, scrambling ability to extend plays, but not on a three-step drop. On a three-step drop, it was more like one, two, three, let's get rid of the ball. On his five and seven-step drops, that's when it was like, hey, let's go through our progression. If it's not there, go ahead and be Russell Wilson. Go ahead and create. And you saw him do that many times with Courtland, Courtland Sutton, Sutton um, on offense. But truly, I think, I think the thing that um, Sean Payton is going to bring to the team is an identity. And he, I think Sean Payton is pretty similar – He's more similar to Pete Carroll than, than people might imagine. Third and four, everyone in the past in Seattle would say, oh, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. Pete Carroll wanted to run the ball sometimes in third and four, keep the defense off balance. You saw Sean Payton do that exact same thing yesterday. Hey, you're a part of this team. We're not going to do everything on your shoulders. However, when the plays are there to be made, we need you to be Superman. And, and I think that's sort of the mindset that they've got, got going into it. And uh, I do trust Sean Payton and Russell Wilson to get it fixed this year.
1: All right, Matt Hasselbeck, I want to ask you about the trend in week one because what a surprise. Matthew Stafford throws for over 300. Kirk Cousins throws for th- over 300. We mentioned that Tua Tungavailoa threw for 466. Mac Jones threw for 316, but he had to because his team was behind. Otherwise, passers were well under 300 yards in most cases. Teams had more running attacks. I mean, that's a total shift in the trend from recent years, at least for week one. Why do you think that happened the first weekend of this, the 2023 NFL season?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's great pass rushers out there right now. And a way to neutralize pass rush is to run the ball. You know, that, that's something that's the biggest fear, I think, of every play caller. Like, hey, I know I can get my guys open, but how are we going to block for it? And so I, I think that's probably the number one thing. You go out and you try to establish that. But like I said, week one can be a liar. Week one can be, you know, you, you see the trends. You, uh, you know, you look at who's good, who's not, uh, all those types of things. I just, in my career, it just always seems like um, – You know, it takes away, I'll use the New England Patriots as an example. They're one of the best teams at scouting you. They're one of the best teams at scouting you. And so I've never felt like they were a great week one team because they don't have the ability to have like sort of a a game breakdown of you. You can kind of surprise them with whatever the heck you want to surprise them with. And so we always, you know, we know the Patriots are usually a great team. But week one, it always felt like that was the time that you could sort of get them off their heels just a little bit. And run game is certainly a way to do it. Run game fits. Uh, There's not a lot of tackling in the preseason anymore. In training camp, there's less preseason games. So, you know, who knows? That's, That's my guess, though.
1: Matt, I want to wrap up with this. When you joined the Tennessee Titans, it was at the end of the lockout. The lockout ended on July the 27th, and you joined the team right after that. You come in. You join a new staff that hasn't been together. Obviously, a new system for you, a new system for Chris Palmer as he's as he's trying to get everything started here. The first game against Jacksonville, the Titans have trouble offensively until later in the game. In the fourth quarter, you start to get it going. And then in week two, you throw for three fifty eight and absolutely handle an excellent Baltimore Ravens team. Talk, if you would, about a quarterback working a new offense and what it can mean to have week two to now have seen the real thing and get a chance to move on and maybe be more successful.
0: Well, I think teams take the biggest jump in between weeks one and two, and some of it are just like things that – are just uh, communication things on the sidelines, you know, just being in the fire. How are we going to communicate? How are we going to talk about it? But truly and honestly, and even going back to what you mentioned, for a quarterback in a new system with new players, maybe a new star wide receiver, whatever it might be, you know, at the time I had Kenny Britt, you know, I noticed like, you know, Ryan Tannehill now, he has DeAndre Hopkins. Sometimes that can be a great thing. Sometimes you can feel like you're forcing it to the guy a little bit. But that first week you get the kinks out what it comes down to for me is third down how do you compete or how do you perform on third down are we giving up sacks are we throwing interceptions are we protecting the ball are we scoring are we letting our punter punt sometimes that's the best thing you can do and so i just remember for me going back to that year that you're mentioning uh that was a great baltimore defense we did have a little bit of uh I don't want to say fear, but a healthy respect for them. And we knew the game would be won or lost on third down. And, and really, through, through my entire career, I think that's what, what I would say. You know, quarterbacks, they make their money on third down. Offenses uh, can make or break the game on third down. And, and really, I think that's the key. And so week two, I think that's the thing I would look for. If I was going to look for one thing, how are people around the league doing on third down offensively? And I think that uh, speaks volumes.
1: And the Titans are hoping for that from Ryan Tannehill a tough week one hopefully in this new offense major improvement in week two
0: yeah no doubt and you know sometimes as a, as a quarterback again I mentioned the unknown when you don't get to scout the opponent you're, you sometimes feel like you're playing not to lose instead of playing to win and uh and that's a bad place to be I mean I just I always appreciated when I uh was feeling like going into the game like hey we are cutting it loose we're on offense I don't care what you do defensively, we're on offense, we're going to do what we want to do. And then sometimes you just get into a situation where you're sort of like waiting and reacting. Okay, what's the defense going to do? Okay, if they do this, then we're going to do that. And I I just never, I never really felt the same in situations like that. So, um, you know, hopefully, I think for every offense, you want to feel like you're the aggressor. And and certainly, I think that Tennessee at times has been that and this weekend, they were not.
1: 12 years ago, great memory at the two-minute warning. Uh, We got to go into break there, and you were coming to the sidelines, and we knew the Titans were going to win that game and had a chance to celebrate it, and it was wonderful to watch you work, knowing the kind of pro that you had been and would continue to be, uh, to beat Baltimore that day, which is always special to Titans fans, and to know you had them and could breathe at the end. It was a great thing, Matt Hasselbeck. Thank you.
0: Thank you, My Great memories, and uh, still root for you guys. Thanks so much for the time. That'll do it for this
1: edition of the Official Titans Podcast. I'm Mike Keith thanking you for listening to the OTP.